Welcome to The Common Bridge, where policy and current events are discussed in a fiercely nonpartisan manner. The host, Richard Helpy, is a philanthropist, entrepreneur, and political analyst who has over a million listeners around the world. The Common Bridge is available on Substack.com and draws guests and audiences across the political spectrum. Hello, welcome to The Common Bridge. I'm your host, Rich Helpy, with our guest today, Mr. Craig Common of The Common Grill. The Common Bridge is available at Substack.com. Please join us there. You'll get full video, access to our podcast, which are still free, by the way, transcripts, and most importantly, an opportunity to participate in our fiercely nonpartisan policy-oriented discussion. Today, we've got a success story with lots of lessons, uh, beginning with the rebirth of a town, the formation of an iconic eating establishment, and then through COVID, and now on to the next phase of life. So please welcome to the Common Bridge, Mr. Craig Common. Craig, glad you're here with us. I'm glad I am too, Rich. Thank you. You're looking very well. How's retirement treating you so far? Uh, Interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, we're just slowly getting into it, so. No sense rushing things. Craig, of course, you're very well known for your success in the restaurant field. But I I know there's a background, so maybe tell our audience a little bit about yourself. Where did you grow up and what were some of your early experiences like? Sure. I I grew up in Dearborn Heights, Michigan. Uh, My first, I went to Dearborn Heights Crestwood High School. We chatted about that earlier. Uh, My first job, I was 14 years old. I was a dishwasher at Boar's Head Inn. At that particular time, the Boar's Head was considered a pretty fancy restaurant. Mm -hmm. And I was making a whopping dollar ten an hour as a dishwasher, working until two thirty in the morning. No, no child labor laws back then, and uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I absolutely loved what I was doing, and I worked all four years through high school there, uh, ending up being a prep cook. And I knew, as I told my buddies in, in high school, that I'm going to own a restaurant my, someday. Okay, so I went. I went to school for a couple of years and. That just wasn't for me. And then I went to Europe for six months uh, as a vagabond, just uh, buzzing through Europe. Came back and started working for Chuck Muir at the Hotel uh, Pontchartrain, downtown Detroit. And uh, worked my way up. I was a lunch broiler cook, and then I was a kitchen manager for the hotel. And then I was going to leave and get a job at the brand-new Dearborn Hyatt Regency. Mm. And uh, they didn't want me to leave, so they offered me less money <laughs> to go to another restaurant. I said, yeah, sure, I'll do that. And I uh, started at the uh, Norsel Charlie's as a kitchen manager and then worked my way up through the, through the company. At, at one point in time, I was the corporate chef in charge of 16 of the restaurants out of the 32 that they had. And that was such a great chain, the, the Muir system, wonderful seafood. I remember many times uh, going to Bloomfield Charlie's. And searching the whole menu and ordering the scrod eight times out of ten. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was good. It was, it was a tremendous experience for me. Uh, I, I opened up sixteen of the restaurants from the ground up through menu planning, through everything, and, and that really helped me understand what it would take to uh, run a restaurant on your own or whatever. And as I progressed through that company, I knew that at some point in time that was going to happen. It, it was just a matter of when. You know, you get used to getting that paycheck and you got a good company that you don't have to worry about if they had issues or whatever. But uh, towards the end, the last couple of years, that's when I started looking around. 
uh, for a property to kind of see if I can do my own thing. And, and when you're doing that kind of a job, you mentioned menu planning. Like, who gets to experiment with what's going to get on the menu, and how do you know what whether to keep something on the menu or take it off the menu? And, and it's got it's got to be an art to that, and some science as well, maybe. Uh, there's art, science, and gut, and you know, listening to guests and things like that. Back in the mere days, it was corporate chef, uh, Chef Larry who ran the show, and then he passed away suddenly. Uh, and it was myself and Chuck Rockwitz, who has Rockies out in Northville. Mm-hmm. Uh, we split up the properties, and Chuck was you know, leery on whether two young kids could really uh, handle the job. And so we did a lot of uh, recipe development for them, for him and his uh, upper echelon. And he knew that we had... He had a couple guys that could do the jobs. You had the chops then. Yeah, we had the chops to, to do it. To, and, uh, to, to do that. And and uh, so then as you got this phenomenal experience with the um, Muir chain, and you always had this childhood ambition, say you're going to own your own restaurant. Was your first restaurant the Common Grill? My only restaurant. Only one. Yeah. Okay, so I didn't know if you had made stops. So you here you are, you're getting a good paycheck. You've got a highly responsible job. Um, for a very well-known group, you could have done really well there for a long time and you decided, you know, I think I'm going to just leave that behind, no guaranteed paycheck, and I'm going to open my own restaurant. Where did you think about opening your restaurant? Yeah, that's a comfort zone, you know, when you, yeah, you get yeah. your paycheck every every week, every yeah. two weeks. Uh, I started looking in Brighton uh, at the time, and this was in probably 1990. Uh, and I was negotiating on a restaurant that was, had sat empty for a couple of years and uh, it, nothing was happening. And then I started looking at another place, a little, little ballet studio in downtown. Brighton. Not to do ballet, but to cook, right? To, to cook. Okay, sure. All right, just and, wanted and, to clarify and that. that wasn't working. Then I got a call out of the blue from Bob Daniels, who owned the Lumberyard, who was deeply involved in, in, in Chelsea. And he asked me to come out and take a look. Take a look. Well... I'd never been there before, so I had to get directions to oh, to downtown to Chelsea, downtown Michigan. Chelsea. And so I met with Bob, and he showed me the town, introduced me to some people, and we looked at the building, and I fell in love with the building right from the get-go. Uh, he had my designer, who I knew was going to d- design the restaurant, no matter where it was going to be, come out. Obviously, he fell in love with the restaurant. And then uh, I had a financial backer that was more interested in Brighton. And so when I told him I found a building in Chelsea, he said, nah, that's not going to happen. Oh, my. So I called Bob and said, Bob, you know, I, he's he's out. And he goes, give me the weekend. I'm going to see what I can do. Called me on Monday, and he had a group of, of people that were willing to uh, help out the situation. So we kept going, uh, having phone calls, kept going, driving out there. And then I took my family out there on a Saturday to see what you know downtown Chelsea was all about on a Saturday evening. And so we went uh, to the, a restaurant across the street, which was not Cleary's at the time, something else. And we had dinner. It was very nice. And we walked out about 7.30, and there was nobody in the streets. <laughs> so the car was pretty silent on the way back. But as Bob continued to promote Chelsea and... 
introduced me to Jeff that he was going to have the theater open and all that kind of stuff. I made a decision in Thanksgiving weekend of 1990 to, to go for it. So putting this together, uh, Bob Daniels, uh, the father of Jeff Daniels, who was, of course, famous actor and the founder of the Purple Rose Theater. The Purple Rose Theater didn't exist at that time. Right. And how did Bob Daniels know that you were thinking about a restaurant in Brighton enough to call you and say, look, come look at Chelsea? Well, he, uh, he was in charge of a group to find. They knew Jeff was going to open a theater. They needed something downtown that could be something that the theater goers could probably go to. And so, uh, you know, I'm not going to be naive enough to think that I was the first choice because they didn't know me. And uh, so they had reached out to a couple of their restaurant tours in Ann Arbor and stuff like that. And nobody, nobody wanted it. And so I was the, probably the third or fourth choice. And I was, you know, dumb enough to, <laughs> to take a chance. But uh, it, just, it just felt good. Uh, I, I felt like people really wanted something like what we were going to do happen. He got my name uh, out of the blue from the general manager, Danny Dancer, at the time. Mm -hmm. And then we just kept looking at numbers and negotiating and just kind of saying this, is, this could be the thing. So here we are in 1990. You're in Chelsea, Michigan. The downtown's pretty much empty. There's a bus garage down there that a guy that's never built a theater said, I'm going to make a theater out of. And here's a young guy like you that's never owned a restaurant saying, yeah, I'm going to, you know, bet a lot on that I'm going to move into it. Is it an old department store building? Mm -hmm. Old department store building and create a restaurant. What could go wrong with this plan? Yeah, there are not too many wise people <laughs> yeah, <so laughs> jump into something like that. But Yeah. You know. Well, thank goodness that you both did because, of course, the Purple Rose Theater has been providing some really good original plays and just about to come back online now for over 25 years. And you and I both been privileged to, to support the the place. Uh, but there's got to be a place to have dinner, and it's got to be a great place to have dinner. And here comes the Common Grill. So you opened in what year? July 26, 1991. What was that first day like? Uh, Nerve-wracking. You know, you have this dream and you think, okay, I think I've got it. I think I understand what we're going to do. And uh, and so was I nervous? I don't think I was nervous uh, because I felt like it could could do the job, could create something. But, I mean, you know, first crack at it. Uh, and uh, we opened up on a Friday night. And it was, you know, when you open restaurants, it's my past history. You do 100, it seems like 500 people. Right. You know, and so we did 130 people that first night, and I was like on a high. It was great. And uh, that was at the end of July. August was really good. Then September came around and school and all that kind of stuff. So the, the sales just went, mm -hmm. yeah. Oh boy. Many nights staring at the ceiling, counting the money, who's, what do we need to keep going, all that kind of stuff. And then we, uh, the first Thursday of October, the Ann Arbor News came out with a review, and it was 9 out of 10, 10 out of 10, 10 out of 10. Yay. And literally that Thursday at 4 or 5 o'clock, people were parking in downtown and running across the street to get into the restaurant. And at, at that point in time, it just, 
it took off. Well, thank goodness. What, you know, you've had obviously tens of thousands of people come through your doors. When your customers talk to you, do they, is there a theme about why they come to the Common Group? I think it's just a connection that we made with our guests uh, through the course of the years. Uh, they feel they can trust us. Uh, we take care of them. It's almost a family environment where people feel good about coming in the restaurant, knowing what they're going to get from a consistency standpoint. And, uh, you know, it just, it, it goes back 30 plus years and uh, you, you kind of look at it. It's interesting because we our, our last day was March 13th when we uh, sold the restaurant and, and the building. And for a month, we had made the announcement on February 13th. For a month, we, were, we, we did so much business. It was probably the busiest month we've ever done in the history of the restaurant. And when you're working closely and you can't see the forest and the trees and stuff, you don't realize what kind of impact you've had on people's lives. In that particular month, touching base and speaking to everybody, working the floor, it, it blew me away. It was, uh, we had cards, letters, uh, stories at every table, you know, kids growing up through the restaurant and all that. It was overwhelming. It was overwhelming. It was, it, it's just something like you dream of dreaming in high school and open a restaurant and 67 year old man fulfilling his dream and feel it pretty good about what he did. Well, you, you did a, a phenomenal job um, along the way. And, and I, and, and I understand that because I know that my family has celebrated birthdays there. We've uh, gathered after funerals there. We have planned weddings there, taking our elderly parents to, you know, some of their, you know, I don't want to say final meal, but some of their, you know, last meals out and such and having uh, every time a phenomenal service, great food and seeing you as a hands-on manager watching carefully, but also I think showing great leadership where you carry trays out to make sure everybody gets that customer experience. So talk a little bit, if you will, about maybe some of the lessons you learned along the way and your management style and it's obvious to me you built a great work culture there too. Yeah, that it, it starts with that. If you you know when you first open the restaurant, you're just trying to see if you can make it for the first year or two, and then you start developing really what's your business model, what do you want to be, what do you want to you know do as you uh, as the restaurant grows and matures, and it, it always goes back to the same thing. You know, you have to take care of the guests. You got to be consistent. You got to treat your people well, and everything else will take care of itself. And there's, you know, uh, that's what we live by. And and the respect aspect for everybody working together as a team and enjoying what they're doing. Mm -hmm. Because as you know, in the restaurant world, sometimes there are some tough days and long hours and all that kind of stuff. But if you make it where you enjoy it and you don't, um, it, it, it. you make it so it's not a job. It's a lifestyle, and you just incorporate that into your everyday thing. And then you teach that with your managers and your staff and all that kind of stuff that we take care of these people. They'll be with us for a long time because they're going to be happy. Mm-hmm. you know. And that resonates with everybody that you're taking care of. 
Were there any young Craig Commons that learned from you and then went off to um, start their own restaurant or yeah, there go were, to a bigger there, job? We have a lot of ex-Common Grill managers out there. Some of them stayed in the field. Some of them had, haven't. Some started catering companies. Uh, waitress uh, that started with us went to school. She's, a, I think, a pediatric surgeon in Boston, UMass General. Oh. Uh, all those kind of teachers. All kinds of people. And then we, when we decided we were going to close the restaurant, we were getting pe- comments from people dropping us on Facebook or Instagram, past employees, talking about how great of an experience their work life was at, at the grill. And so when you think about that, we, you know, we, we took care of what we said we were going to take care of. Indeed. And, and it always comes down to the, the cultures there, great staff, and I've had many meals at your place, always been a great meal. I have my favorites. And you developed a cookbook, which I understand had some success as well. Yeah, the very first one, uh, the Common Grill Cookbook, it had a lot of success. Sleeping Bear Press was the, the, were the people that did the first book. And Brian Lewis, the owner of Sleeping Bear, Sleeping Bear Press, was a marketer. You know, he, he could market anything. And so he took it upon himself that he was going to do something with this cookbook. Well, we sold almost 100,000 of these cookbooks. He had me flying from, uh, got me involved with Marshall Fields at the time. I'd fly to Minneapolis, I'd fly to Chicago, I'd do demos at their stores and the malls, they'd fly me back. Uh, and so that aspect of it, we were on radio shows from California to Nashville to Florida, just talking about the book. And, uh, and then I, I didn't think that was going to happen, but the marketing aspect of that for a cookbook just raised the roof for the restaurant. That came out in November, December of 2000, in 2001, 21 years ago. Our sales went up half a million dollars in that year, which, you know, was, we were busy every single day, every night. So that, that was, that was a lot of fun. And then we did a second one four years later, and uh, that went okay. It didn't have the same where razzmatazz as the first one, but uh, it was still kind of kind of cool. Well, but I think the question that our, our listenership and viewership readership is going to want to know is the recipe for the bread in, in one of the books. Uh, no, it isn't. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is in a kind of an unusual form, but it really isn't. Uh, many requests in the last month that... Uh, you're going to publish it, and uh, no, I'm not. But maybe you know, in my retirement days, if I get a little bored, I might come up with a third cookbook and have some fun with it. That's great. Now, now the restaurant you close it, but you were fortunate enough to have a successor company. Will they be offering the bread? I think America needs to know this. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, uh, they are. They, they we reopened this past week, and good group of guys. And yeah, they're going to maintain all the stuff that we've done over the first 30 years and uh, kind of carry the torch uh, for the Common Grill. I'm pretty excited about the group that uh, it came about uh, f- for this. I mean, you, you know, we closed, we were closing the restaurant because I wanted to retire mm-hmm. and not because of anything else but that. And then we uh, had the opportunity to have several people that were interested in the, uh, in the, in the, in the restaurant and came upon these guys and 
Tell, tell us about the group. That who are they, and, and what's what's their background? I understand they've got other iconic properties as well. Yes, they are. Uh, the company is Peas and Carrots Hospitality out of Birmingham, Bloomfield Hills, and they have uh, five, six restaurants now, seven, and they have a restaurant in Chicago. They have uh, their part of their business model is taking legacy restaurants like mine and keeping them going. Uh, Como's and Ferndale, the pizza place mm-hmm. that took that over. But Nine Mile Woodward. Yeah. Yep, been open for 70 years. Uh, Bojack's, which was Jack Cochran's place mm-hmm. way back when, they took that over. 15 and Telegraph, yeah. Yep, 15 yep. and Telegraph. And all places that they've done, they've done a fabulous job uh, maintaining uh, the commitment, the legacy of these particular restaurants. So it was a, as we kept meeting with them, it just felt really good. Because at the time, I wasn't so sure, uh, my wife and I weren't so sure that we wanted to keep our name on the building or the recipes, uh, maybe from an ego standpoint, whatever. But then what else did we, you know, I didn't want it to make a, you know, some restaurant with some different name that, you know, I felt we, we, we felt we owed it to the community to, if we could find the right group to keep this going, it just made sense. And uh, the more and more we talked to them, it was, it was, it was the right, right guys. Well, that, that is great to hear that you, something you've nurtured, slaved away for a long time, yeah. sweat over, that it's going into good hands. And the group Peas and Carrots does have a great reputation. I know I've enjoyed several of their other restaurants, and I, I hope they'll, they'll do an outstanding job. And I know they're keeping most of your people there as well. Yeah, they're keeping everybody. The most important thing for the guests is, yes, you can still get your Thanksgiving rolls when we get to Thanksgiving <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Yes, indeed. Uh, Thanksgiving rolls are coming. That is such great news. You know, you mentioned that about the, for the community, and you've been really involved with the community. So you came to Chelsea, didn't know where it was. The downtown's kind of empty. Now, of course, with the success of the Purple Rose Theater and Common Grill being literally a destination restaurant, people plan weekends around going to the Common Grill. You've been involved with the festivals, and tell us what you're, about your civic involvement and what you've seen happen in the town since you've been there. Yeah, I really realized early on I just couldn't be a restaurant owner in a small town, and that was it. You know, there had to be more to it. And the more we got our business going and up and running, I realized I wanted to be, you know, an important part of the community. So early on, I was on the planning commission for a few years. I was on the hospital, Chelsea, Chelsea Hospital uh, uh, Board of Directors for nine years. I've been on the uh, I'm on the Chelsea State Bank board right now, but I started getting involved in. They had this festival uh, first year I was there. Uh, I can't remember what it was called. For it's predated sights and sounds. Yeah, pre predated sights and sounds. It was. Uh, I'll think about that. Uh, so I thought, okay, this is pretty cool, but you know, it's, it was sidewalk sales and things like that, mm-hmm. and I thought, God, there's got to be more that we could do. So I was down in Naples, Florida on vacation, and they had this thing called uh, something on Thursday nights on Fifth Avenue. And there must have been 30, 40 bands up mm-hmm. up and down the street. I'm going, boy, we, we, this, this would be something that would really be 
kind of cool. We had this little festival that we had in the back parking lot that, you know, did did things for the weekend, but it wasn't really what, it, what was going to happen. So met with some people, business leaders, and said, let's let's try something this summer. We'll we'll have a band out in my place on a Thursday night, and then the next Thursday we'll go in front of Cleary's and we'll put a band and. And, you know, it, kind of, it was kind of lame. It was it was just okay. And I said, look, at last Thursday, let's hire nine bands, put them up and down the street, and see what happens. And we advertised it. And there were like a 1,000 people that came out that, that, that last Thursday in September. I said, this is where we want to go. So we worked all fall into the winter to start what we call Sounds and Sights on Thursday nights 15, 16 years ago. And uh, had auditions, had all kinds of things going on. And now today it's Sound Insights Festival, last weekend in July, uh, which has the, the music in the tent, has chalk art, kid zone, car show, uh, art market, brings 10,000, 15,000 people on the, the weekend. The, and they're great Thursday nights because you see uh, all these uh, musicians that come out that have to audition and it's competitive. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's a paid gig for them. You know, Craig, you've navigated so much as a creator, as an entrepreneur, and you know, managing the day to day, everything that happens in management. A supplier doesn't show up, or the wrong thing comes in, or the employee comes ill, or whatever uh, might happen. COVID hits, and our governor tells us you can't go out to eat anymore. What was that like? <laughs> uh, it was interesting. Uh, you know, set my business up from day one. To uh, my first goal was not to go buy a fancy car. My first goal was to pay off debt, mm -hmm. and so that when we got our business up and running at some point in time, and uh, wherever it was going to go, that we didn't have to worry about anything in regards to recessions, wars, pandemic, and of course, 2020 hits pandemic. Remember Sunday? The Sunday was the last day, March 15th. Uh, and everything was out of our hands. We were told we had to shut down for two weeks, not knowing if it was going to be any more than that. And, uh, and then it was, well, you can open up outdoor dining and all that. And, and you know, so the business model all of a sudden, or do carry out the business model, we had to say, okay, I'm not going to rush into anything. So I decided that I, we, re, we didn't reopen until July 7th of 2020. Then we got up and running. And there was, you know, there were still people nervous about going out and all that kind of stuff. And then we got shut down again November 18th. Just in time for the holiday period, which is so important for not only my business, but all kinds of businesses. You can do carry out. Well, you know, that business model is not going to carry you forever. And uh, so the year of 2020 through the following year of 2021, we were closed seven months in that 12-month period. But we owned the building. We owned the building. We had debt-free. We could ride out the storm. It, you know, it affected a lot of my managers. It affected a lot of our people. But I tried to do the best I could to take care of all our managers through that process and then, and then we could open, we decided to open again March 15th or 16th the following year, 2021. And our business in 2021 was, 
was fantastic. We were doing better numbers pre-pandemic in those numbers, and we were only open five nights a week because there were staff shortages. And uh, I remember you and I talked, and then you said you didn't want to burn out your staff. Yeah, we, we could, I didn't want to burn out myself, let alone, let alone my staff. And so I said, we're going to go five nights a week. We're going to do the best job we can, take care of our people, do uh, carry out, which we did you know, very good business in carry out. And we actually had a great year. But that was, you know, in 2021 in January and February, my wife and I, we have a place down in Naples. We went down there for two weeks in January and came back, went back down two weeks in February. And that really kind of set the motion for me to think about retirement because uh, I, I, I worked very hard for 30 years, had a great business. But it was it was wearing the whole thing was just wearing on me. So I don't know if COVID was the catalyst. I mean, we still had a, a great business. Twenty twenty. I don't even look at twenty twenty. Twenty twenty was a throw away that one. Yeah. Yeah. It was a, a year that through all the other previous years of recessions and things that happened, nine eleven and all that kind of stuff. Uh, twenty twenty was something I don't care to even look at anymore. Um, were, the, were the government policies helpful to you or more headwind? Are you talking about? During COVID, I know that you know there was extra unemployment, so maybe you softened the blow for some of your people. I know at one point you and I were chatting, you were talking about that you were actually having to call in your test numbers and those types of things. Yeah. Were, were the regulations, were they difficult to follow or easier to follow? And did they seem to make sense? They were, you're right there yeah. on the front lines. Yeah, they were very difficult to follow, and there was just more, more add-ons to the employer, you know, and more things that you were held accountable for, and the testing, and the calling, and 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 the, that paperwork that had to be. Yeah, it was nice at the beginning to give that extra kicker for unemployment, but it just kept going on and on. So all of a sudden, people that would be on unemployment, which if you don't have a job, I get it. But then they added the $600 kicker, and it forced a lot of people to say, I don't know if I need to go back to work. Mm -hmm. And so there were times that people decided to do other things, get out of the restaurant business. But it was not only just our industry that was affected. It was every industry that was affected. And we're starting to see now people getting back in the workforce. You know, Craig, uh, one uh, movie that I was uh, very interested in was uh, one called The Chef. And that's where the, 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 the chef, the main character, he was very successful, but he was getting mediocre reviews and he really had passion to change the way he was cooking. Did you ever run into pressures like that where I know I think the character that was the uh, owner of the restaurant said, play your hits. Nobody wants to hear new, new stuff from you. Play your hits. Did you ever run into anything like that during the time that you're running this? I mean, you're. I know what my favorite dishes are, and like I always like to see that those are, those are there. But ooh, here's something new I want to try. What what kind of tension goes on with with that? Well, I'm very fortunate because the guests trusted me of of putting something new on, and you know, and knowing that I think it would work for the guests that were coming in. So it's interesting starting the day one. Our menu was very limited to where it is today, and I had the, the, the wherewithal to listen to guests, and I always felt we needed to stay relevant, so I always pushed the envelope on, on 
cuisine and culinary ideas so that the guests could have their favorite, okay, walleye that's been on the menu since day one, or they could venture off into something new. So I had no issues with that. I no, There are times where I tried something and it was, a, you know, nobody, I couldn't give it away. And then five, six years later, retool it, and boom, people loved it. So I had that. It was, it was. I didn't have that issue where people always. You, know, you don't. You can't take that off. Now I did take some things off on occasion and walk through the dining room and people. Hey, hey, what are you doing? <laughs> well, I know. I always cheered when there were lamb chops on the menu. Yeah. <laughs> so at times, I'd always my stock answer was, "Yeah, it, it might come back. So, you know, don't don't give up on me, yeah. <laughs> whether it did or not." But sometimes it did. So. Oh, that's that's got to be that's got to be very very difficult. So we've, we've talked about your management philosophy and the type of people that that you 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 would hire. What's next for Craig Common? I mean, the, the, it sounds like a great story that the Common Grill is going to go on. Maybe it's a little too early to ask the question, but what's next for you? I'm just going to uh, relax for the next five, six months if I can. And I've been going at it for a long time, hard every night. And so I just want to kind of kind of step out for a minute and kind of uh, see what I wanted to, you know. Uh, I, I've always wanted to do an oyster bar somewhere, someday. Uh, so I'm, I'm, not, I'm not in a hurry. I'm just going to relax for a minute and help these new guys out a little bit for, for a little bit and then do some traveling and, and uh, kind of relax for the first time in my life. <laughs> as, a, as an entrepreneur, good luck with that. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll do that. Uh, Craig, is there anything else that we should talk about or that you'd like to talk about that we maybe haven't covered today or any, any closing comments? You know, I'm just, you know, really lucky to have a, have a, a business that I can walk away on my own terms and feel good about what we accomplished and uh, what we did in Chelsea and, uh, and making people happy. I mean, what more as a restaurateur chef you need, you know, that's all I needed. And it was been very gratifying over all these years and I can now ride off in the sunset and feel good about it. Well, and look, I think you've done all that and more. You revitalized a, a town uh, to be a very attractive community. Uh, you've touched the lives of your customers and your staff in, in, in such uh, positive ways. And the great news is that the Common Grill under new management is going to keep the menu and keep the staff and that guest experience. I just have to tell you that this entire time we've been chatting, I'm getting hungrier and hungrier <laughs> thinking about some of the good food there. Uh, any closing comments as we wrap up here? Nope. I just want to thank the community for the sport all those years, and uh, I couldn't be any happier about it. We've been talking today with Craig Common of the iconic Common Grill in Chelsea, Michigan. His journey from a startup entrepreneur to help revitalize a town, build a destination quality restaurant, touched the lives of many people throughout our region and also throughout the country, has navigated through COVID and is now on to some other great things and probably some relaxation in there as well. The Common Grid is available, of course, on most podcast outlets on YouTube TV, and most importantly, at the Common Bridge on Substack.com. Please join us there for more interesting discussions, commentary, 
and guest column. And with our guest today, Craig Common, this is your host, Rich Helpy, signing off on The Common Bridge. Thanks for joining us on The Common Bridge. Please subscribe to The Common Bridge on Substack.com, where you can find more interviews, columns, podcasts, video, and other nonpartisan discussions to the problems of today. On Substack, you can access the full archive and bonus columns, podcasts, and interviews for only $5 a month. Please go to Substack.com and search for The Common Bridge and subscribe.